Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. With me is Henry Knieberg. He is uh, famous for having uh, created the Spotify engineering culture model, and he's here with his guitar, uh, yeah. and he has very kindly agreed to uh, give us uh, some intro music, so take it away, Henry. Okay, since you mentioned the Spotify video, here it is. I think that's the one we used. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, yes, you are the creator of uh, a viral video, right? The, uh, the, the Spotify uh, engineering culture video. Yeah, five, um, five years ago. Something yeah. like that, but it, no, it even wow, <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of it's sport, it became a phenomenon, right? And now people talk about the Spotify model, and there are companies out there who now want to emulate what how how Spotify set themselves up. Uh, that's amazing, so, yeah. So, uh, but of course, you know, and that's just one string in, in your um formidable bow. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I thought perhaps we'd start there, given that's what's made you you famous. Um, so yeah, give us a little bit of the backstory for you know, how you ended up at Spotify and then ultimately how, how you came to create that video. Oh, right. Uh, that's us. Let me remember, how did I end up at Spotify? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I was bouncing around, uh, helping a lot of companies figure out how to work effectively. And I got a little bit tired of being the guy that just pops in and out all the time. <laughs> so I wanted something more long-term. So, so I, I ended up kind of in the early days of Spotify, I, I kind of was fascinated by, by that company at this tiny startup, which was doing something really awesome in the, in the, in the, in the world of music. So I managed to get myself in there <laughs> uh, quite, quite, quite early um, in the beginning, just part time. But then I kind of more, got sucked in more and more. So finally, I ended up being there, what, four years, something like that ish. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a company that to me was different. Um, maybe because they were kind of born into an agile mindset somehow. So there wasn't an agile transitioning. It was just a company that kind of considered agile to be kind of obvious and, and also questioned many of the norms around how to organize companies. So it was, it was actually really fun to be in this place where we can experiment wildly with, with, how, with how, to, how, to, how, to, how to run things. <laughs> right. And, and I guess for those, for those who, you know, maybe they've heard of, this is the first time they've heard, even heard of the Spotify model. Um, maybe we should just talk a little bit about, you know, what Agile meant and then in, in broad brush, what, what that looked like, uh, you know, at least when you were there, you know, what, right. So, like. um, the Spotify model is something that it's not something that I made up. <laughs> <laughs> I just made a video in a case study describing how this one Swedish company works. And then that video and, and, uh, an associated article just became popular. And then people started referring to it as, as the Spotify model. But there was never any intent to kind of create a, a model and spread it around the world. So it was very interesting. But, but um, the reason why this whole thing came about, I guess, is because Spotify was a fast-growing company. Um, and when you're just five people in a basement, you don't need much structure. You can just sit and you know, build stuff and ship it, right? <laughs> but then when you start getting 20 people, 30 people, you need a little bit of structure. And as you grow, you need more structure. And then there's always the pitfall of, of becoming rigid and slow as you become a big company with lots of process and handoffs and roles and stuff. Uh, but Spotify was interesting because the, 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 the leaders there were hell-bent on not falling into that trap. They wanted to stay kind of fast and nimble 
otherwise known as agile, <laughs> um, even, even, as, even as they grew. So as part of that, um, we were talking a lot about like, how, how can we do that in practice? And one of the driving forces was, was, the, was the CTO. And he created this, this kind of organizational structure using funny words, um, squads instead of teams, um, a chapter, which is like a community of interest of some sort, um, and um, uh, tribes, which is kind of like the equivalent of a department. Just funny words. And uh, um, in order to make people ask, what does that mean? Which is good, because then we don't inherit a bunch of of you know definitions of what is a team or what is a department, so kind of making a funny word so that we can decide what they actually mean. But the reason why we did this was to have something to grow into. So basically, we want we want to keep the startup culture, even when we got, have like dozens or hundreds of teams. So each team should be like a mini startup. That was kind of the, the the guiding philosophy, and that matches very well with agile. So the word agile wasn't used very much, but this aligned very much with, with what agile is all about. So in my head, it's, it was just, okay, we're, we're trying to be agile as we grow. And we're using these funny words. <laughs> right. Um, and that's pretty much it. So we, we, we kind of experimented with this structure where the goal was to have maximum autonomy, where teams can make decisions locally and, and kind of own their aspect of the product. In, Spot, in Spotify case, a, a, a music streaming system. But also to stay aligned. So that was kind of the big challenge. How do we have teams that are, or squads that are autonomous and can make decisions on their own and move quickly while also not stumbling over other teams? <laughs> they need to kind of be moving autonomously in roughly the same direction. So th that was what we experimented with. And, and that was what I, what I made a video about kind of, um, because also I found there was something really interesting about, about the, 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 the culture there. That's why I named my video, the Spotify engineering culture, because to me, it wasn't so much about the structure or the process. It was about the, the culture that, that, that gave rise to that. So this culture of people just like helping each other. For example, in, in, in many other companies I've seen, if, if team A has a problem with team B, they, they, they gripe about it <laughs> until someone else comes and solves the problem somehow. But here it seemed to be considered obvious that, hey, you know, let's talk to each other, says team A to team B. And then they sort out their problem and then they move on. So there are all these things uh, in the culture that I found kind of fascinating. And I still, to this day, don't know exactly why it happened there and not so much in other places. So I, 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 I wanted to capture that initially for internal use because um, we had a lot of people being hired and I, and I wanted to help describe this is what we are trying to be. This is what we are and, and, and want to keep being. But then p people outside got, got, got very interested and then it spread and became this, became this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I guess that's a, uh, the, the long version of the story. <laughs> Right. And so what were some of the aspects of the culture? So, so you've talked about this helping culture, right? This, this, which I guess I'm, I'm looking at you now, right? You're on a, you're in Sweden, uh, you know, famous for the, for its sort of societal culture of, you know, I suppose communal concern. So is it, is it even, even within a, a Nordic context, you found that company to be particularly sort of communally oriented? I would say yes. I mean, Sweden is generally quite kind of team and consensus oriented, mm. which can be great and sometimes not great. <laughs> but overall, that cultural bias, I think, uh, was part of it. But it was not the whole part of it because there are also a lot of Swedish companies that are very top-down, very rigid, um, or very individualistic. But I noticed when we opened up in the U.S., an office there, that to the teams and managers uh, in New York, uh, it, didn't, it didn't come as naturally because the cultural bias was a little bit different. So of course, after a while, I, I, like a company can have its own culture regardless of the country it's in. 
but there is going to be a bias. So, so that, that, that's when I noticed the difference. It just came more naturally to, to the teams in Sweden. Although even in Sweden, the teams were very, very international. So we had people flying in from all over the place. Um, right. Right. And, and so what was this? So you've got these lots of mini startups, right? These squads. Yeah. Um, and so how much autonomy did they have? And then, and then what, what, what were some of the, I guess, mechanisms in the culture that did have them uh, align? So when we were kind of small, and by the way, disclaimer, we're talking about Spotify five years ago. So right. everything I say now has nothing to do with Spotify today, right? It's a much bigger company. But, um, but at the time, um, during the years I was there, the company doubled in size every year, which is quite crazy. Uh, so there was a continuous kind of headache of, of growth pain. <laughs> so no matter what structure we create today, it would break the year after kind of. So we wanted to create something kind of more, more resilient, and that's when we kind of noticed that autonomy seems to be a, a key factor here. Because if teams can be autonomous, then whenever their current structure breaks, they will come up with a better one. Now, if it's just five or 10 teams, they will kind of naturally be aligned because they're sitting on the same floor and you know, having lunch together and talking to each other. But when it started becoming 20 or 30 or 40, now you know, people no longer see each other as much and there's gonna be gaps. So that's when we introduced the concept of tribes which is essentially a collection of squads that have a shared mission. And the idea is that if I'm in tribe A, I don't need to worry about what tribe A is, what tribe B is up to. I should just trust them to fulfill their mission and then we can focus on ours because there's no way I can keep track of all these other, you know, too many, too many squads. But the, the challenge was how do we do that in practice? Because we don't want these different squads that are removed from each other to be misaligned. Uh, and that was a constant problem. <laughs> but what I like about Spotify was that like we didn't solve that by reverting to traditional organizational structures of top-down control. Because although that does give you more control, it also slows you down. And it really also slows down the rate of innovation. So I could see very clearly like a correlation between the more autonomy we give the teams, the faster we can innovate. And that kept Spotify kind of ahead of the game, even against you know, huge competitors like, like Apple and Google. It was quite fascinating to see how well it can work. Well, but, I mean, yeah. we should just pause there to just reflect yeah. on that, right? This is a company out of Sweden who took on, you know, Apple, uh, Google, uh, now taking on Amazon, right? And, yeah. and are winning. I mean, that really is extraordinary, isn't it? Although it's kind of funny. For the first few years, there wasn't much competition because everybody thought Spotify were idiots because the whole notion of what? People are not going to own their own music. They're going to just stream it and that's going to actually work and it's going to be legal. Forget it. No way. So kind of every, everyone who, who kind of has been in the music industry would said that's going to absolutely not work. So that's why we were left alone for a while <laughs> until finally uh, you know, companies started realizing, oh, wait, the model does work. Uh, we want in. And then, boom, the race is on. And it was kind of, kind of scary. But yeah, it, it was a continuous uh, ex, uh, kind of battle to figure out how do we stay aligned without sacrificing autonomy. So we introduced some models later on, one, one which we call the Spotify rhythm, which is kind of the equivalent of of applying, you know, agile planning techniques at the boardroom level in a, in a sense that, you know, the whole company has one backlog um, of what we call bets each and a bet is like a big initiative um, and they're stack ranked against each other. Um, and then uh, all the teams are trying to align against a single list of priorities while also being autonomous within their, their domain. So let's say like in general, we want to improve the ability for people to discover new music on the Spotify platform. That, may, that maybe was number one. But then would, that be a bet? would that be a bet? Yeah, that would be a bet. But then each team would figure out, like, what, what can we do to, to, to help that? So, right. so it's really like a very high-level uh, set of priorities, but then each team is given quite a lot of autonomy in terms of how to, to uh, 
um, contribute to that. Right, and then for and this rhythm, then so what's the cadence? Is that like you have a bet per month or per quarter? Like what? How does that work? Um, the bets were kind of it was more like a kanban system for those who are into agile, like it's, yeah. it's like a a a persistent list of priorities stack right. ranked across the whole organization. Um, but then we would have a, a cadence of follow up. So at the time, I think it was quarterly or something like that. We had something called strategy days. We'd take a step back and look at the, the whole list and say, okay, what is most important right now for the company? And then every six weeks, there'd be like a, like a smaller follow-up, more tactical follow-up. Um, so yeah, typ- so we experimented with length of the cadences, but typically we would have two cadences, one more strategic one and one more, more tactical one. And then, of course, a third one at squad level for sprints. So most squads were doing two-week sprints. Um, right. So I guess it would be a third that's why it was called the rhythm because just like in a song you have like different um the overall beat that's be right yeah or then you got so you got these little rhythms inside the big one so i think it's a pretty well-named uh, model <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Okay, and so so a squad could then pick. Well, they did they have some freedom to choose then of this priority list. I, they could choose which they what they wanted to work on. Yeah, it was a bit of a balancer because on the one hand we didn't want to be rigid and force squads to have to work on this. On the other hand, we didn't want just to have chaos, right? So there was this notion of, uh, and it was a tricky balance to find this notion of uh, try as much as you can to contribute to these high level uh, bets. But it is up to you to decide how you best use your time. So, and that's really important because some of the most important features in the product were, were not even on the bets list. Right. So, as, so uh, for example, although we had an overall ambition to improve Spotify as a music discovery platform, the actual feature or, uh, that, that's, that, that nailed, this, that actually solved the problem wasn't on the bet list. We were doing all kinds of bets, which is kind of like Spotify speak for projects. <laughs> but we were doing all kinds of bets that we thought would make Spotify a better platform for discovering new music. But the one that actually solved it was this dinky little feature called Discover Weekly, which just automatically populates a playlist with songs. And you can't even control what pops in there. And then it makes a new one every week. And pretty much a very kind of you know, surprising feature, but that totally made Spotify a great platform for discovering new music. And it was just a hunch that some developers had, and they, and they, they tried it out. So it would never have happened without, without that kind of permission to try ideas out. Right. And how did, th- how did that work then? W- 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 how did you manage, you know, one squad coming up with a feature, they stick it on the platform, but it may conflict with another feature or yeah. degrade user experience in some way. How, how did that get managed? So there is, first of all, a price you pay for autonomy. <laughs> so, so the price in this case is a little bit of chaos, a little bit of waste, because you have sometimes, three, you know, different parts of the different teams that are kind of working on things that overlap each other and they don't even know it. So we tried to be very transparent because if everyone sees what everyone else is doing, then we reduce the risk of that. But because there's no single tops, you know, point of top-down control, we are allowing organic development to happen. There is going to be a bit of waste and overlap duplication. And that's the price that we kind of chose to pay. It was deliberate. Um, but uh, to kind of reduce the risk of that happening and reduce the damage of it, we try to ship very often. With, well, I'm speaking as if it's present tense, but at the time, we're trying to ship very often. So, so squads would typically ship like sometimes weekly, sometimes even more often. Um, typically, not ship to the whole world, but but ship small A/B tests, small 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 experiments. So, so the the default principle was anybody is is allowed to ship anything to one percent of all users. Okay. 
So, so this, this team, it was actually, there was actually some new people on the team. So they were kind of wondering like, oh, we made this little prototype and we're kind of really excited about it. And the people around us are excited about it. So what, 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 how, do we, how do we get this, you know, what, what's the next step? And then the more experienced people at Spotify said, well, first of all, why don't you ship it to all employees, first of all, and, and see how they react. And I was like, you know, people were really surprised at this feature that just popped into their phones. Like, whoa, what, what's this playlist? I didn't create it. Oh, there's really cool music there. And then, you know, how, where, where did this come from? Uh, and there was like a feedback link in this playlist description where you could fill in a form. <laughs> so, but anyway, so that was the first test. Ship it internally, see what people think. And then they were encouraged to ship it to 1% of all users. So we put a lot of time into creating an infrastructure that makes it easy to, to ship little experiments like that. So they, they, they shipped that and then they learned through that 1% that, wow, this is awesome. And of course, by, by then they had the attention of everybody else. So that's when this became like a thing. It kind of became a bet. Let's make this properly. So then it rolled out to gradually more people. And then also we discovered things like, oh, this doesn't scale. The way it's built, uh, it doesn't use playlists the way playlists were designed. And technically this doesn't scale, it's going to break the systems. But by shipping to a small number of users, we could see that through just data. So right. before it became a huge problem. So that way we could sort out both, you know, sort out both the, the, the design, but also technical issues and then gradually roll it out to everybody. So it's a very organic approach. Um, sometimes very fast because teams can iterate, but sometimes very slow because it's very much based on customer feedback. And until we know it's a good feature, we're not going to roll it out to everybody. So it'll take whatever time it takes. Right. And the other thing that uh, I recall now from the video is this, um, this idea of like majoring on employee satisfaction or employee happiness, right? Uh, yeah, it's one of those, uh, we, had, we had this group called POPs, People Operations. Um, mo most of the kind of like uh, concepts used at Spotify weren't actually invented there. It was kind of cobbled together by looking at many other companies and taking the best ideas we could find and then, you know, adding a twist to it. <laughs> So, but anyway, we had this group called People Operations, uh, and it's kind of like a like a, a mini HR, but focused on product development parts of the company. But the 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 the, the leaders there had a very uh, sound approach to to people, <laughs> which is good since they're called People Operations. And basically, subscribing a lot to the to Dan Pink's ideas about mo motivation, um, about um, autonomy, drive, and purpose. If we give people a, a really inspiring mission and a purpose, and we give them the, the tools they need, and then step back and give them as much autonomy as possible, then they're they're they're, they're going to be happier, but they're also going to build better stuff. So it was interesting to see that firsthand that when teams were were happy and having fun, they they, they build better stuff faster, <laughs> and when they build better stuff faster, that also comes back and makes them even happier. So it becomes this positive feedback loop. So I've noticed that in many, in many other contexts that if you just figure out what bugs people, what makes them angry or sad and just give them the tools needed to fix that, then almost magically all kinds of stuff improves just because people are more motivated to fix problems instead of griping about them. <laughs> right. And so what are some examples of things that you found that bug people and that you did something about or that Spotify did something about? Well, for, for example, for a while we, um, well, I guess the whole, the whole Spotify rhythm thing was a good example of that. People were griping about the fact that there's no high level alignment. I don't know what, what's happening in the company. I'm doing my thing. I'm optimizing my, my part of the product but how do we optimize the whole? So after a while, we would see things like sub-optimization where one part of the product just didn't fit with another part. So that was like a, a kind of a growing chorus of griping happening at all levels until finally- <laughs> I love these musical of, metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> Discord music. Like, I know, this is not, not a good. We have to do something about this, right? So let, let's stop and figure out what's wrong, right? 
and then that 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 led to this uh, to this uh, Spotify rhythm. But another example was for a while we were using two different version control systems, two different approaches to version control, because there was no top-down manager saying we should use this or that. We had two, and everybody agreed that that sucks. We should have one, but some people like this one better. Some people like the other one better. <laughs> and for a long time we were kind of stuck there, until finally one person started started pretty much on his own doing a little a bit of a survey to find out, okay, everybody, which one do you use? How do you feel about it? How much do you know about the other one? How important do you find it is that we should use one? And finally it became clear that, you know what? We should use one, even if it's the wrong one. So even, even the people who prefer to use version B would be okay with using A as long as it's the same bloody one, right? So, so but there was a bit of pain along the way until that actually happened. So again, there was a price to pay. And the price to pay is that sometimes Sometimes problems take a little bit longer to solve because there's no one person that's just going to step in, but they tend to get solved better. Right. Uh, but also sometimes problems get solved faster also because people are equipped and entrusted to solve them. So they'll just step up and do it instead of just waiting for someone else to do it. Right. And that's interesting. So it sounds like the people operations had a role in sort of surveying people, understanding the, the, gripe, the gripe chorus, uh, but also people would just, in this case, right, themselves start surveying and trying to figure yeah. out. And issues. I was working yeah. kind of, I had one foot in people operations and one foot in the teams with, with, and working with other agile coaches. So kind of bridge this kind of, it was interesting to, to live in, in uh, between these two parts of the organization. And it, to me, it boiled a lot down to recognizing that there are a lot of problems and there's always going to be a lot of problems. We need to prioritize the problems. That's kind of number one. Don't panic, prioritize the problems, right? And work on the most important ones. And the second thing is to recognize that there's a lot of problems already being solved. And sometimes just a small nudge or a little bit of help is all that's needed. Um, so we're really trying to be careful not to, you know, be top down and try to solve problems from top down. It's often a matter of checking, hey, people, which of these five problems is most important? This one. Okay, who's interested in help helping you solve it? And then hands would come up and then we would sit down and do a workshop and talk about it. And then we would solve it. So another example was Hack Week. We had a problem with teams with how do we do you know, actual prototyping together as an organization to, to find new solutions to our, tech, to our problems. And we ended up doing this thing called Spotify Hack Week, which was everybody together a whole week of just hacking. But that came about pretty, pretty bottom up um, because people saw the need to do more organized uh, hacking. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And and the surveying infrastructure then, so people up, I guess for people out there, you think, oh, how do I actually make this work? Is is there, did was there like a survey platform that people were regularly asked to contribute to? You know, just what was the mechanics of the? Oh, it was the, very, uh, there was no consistency there. <laughs> sometimes a Google form would go out to everybody. Sometimes there'll just be a, a chart on the wall. And so people would walk by and put a mark on it. Sometimes it'd be a local survey and, and during the retrospective of a team. Uh, so sometimes it'd be hands up during an offsite. <laughs> so it varied a lot, but I would say the most common was various forms of like Google forms being sent around. And a, a bit of a challenge was we almost had survey fatigue for a while. People were tired of all these surveys being sent. So we had to be a little bit, you know, careful with what, how often do we send them and to which people do we send them? And also how do we interpret the results? So, so often a survey would just be input to a meeting. The survey would not lead to a decision. It would just be data, which we then bring to a workshop. And then, and then during the workshop, we would then decide, okay, how are we going to solve this problem? Right. But one thing we, I guess the most structured thing we did introduce was something called the Spotify, the, the squad health check model, which I actually wrote an article about. And it's actually very popular even now. We actually use it also at, 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 the, at the Mojang with Minecraft development and other teams. Um, 
and it, it is a little more structured format of finding out how are the teams doing? What, what, are, what, are, what are, what's, what's, uh, what's in their way? What are the impediments? And also looking for systemic issues across multiple teams. Right. And because I guess if you've got some consistency in the surveying, that helps you a little bit with yeah. seeing this systemic picture, right? Yeah. So I think both are valuable. It's valuable to have one kind of consistent approach, which you use on a regular basis, just to take the temperature of, of the organization. But, but, the, but the ad hoc ones are also useful. Right. Um, but I guess one, one insight I had was that you don't have to survey everybody. You know, statistics, right? <laughs> you can survey just a few people. And the answer will usually be quite representative if, you, if, if it's just a, a random enough selection of people. Right. That way you don't bother everybody. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that the culture of checking in, check the temperature, uh, ask the people, sense for what's already there in terms of people working on product, that seems to be yeah. the, the broader set of principles here. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's this sense of like, uh, it was very, I, I really like the approach where a team knows that, okay, we have a problem here. And we can choose to live with it or we can do something about it. But what we can't do is just sit here and hope someone else is going to solve it. Uh, maybe someone else will, but we can't assume so. So unless we do something, we'll just have to, you know, accept the problem or fix it, basically. Don't sit and gripe, right? Yeah. So I, I like that mindset. Also for, as a, as a kind of life philosophy, right? <laughs> in general, it's useful in any context. Like, I have a problem, do something or accept it. Don't gripe. <laughs> it's, it's good. <laughs> Yeah, but it does sound very different to the cultures I've worked in where you've got the, the annual survey, the annual employee satisfaction survey. It sounds like a, a world away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so we've started to talk about some of the things that you liked and that worked at Spotify. You know, and I get, again, caveat, this is some time ago, but what were yeah. the things that you think you know, didn't work so well there? Well... I would say I mean, there was general growth pain all the time. So it was in a way kind of frustrating that no matter what problem you solve today, you know, it's, it's something new is going to pop up in, or in half a year. Everything's going to be different because the company is much bigger. There was also sometimes difficulty in steering the company, especially before we introduced the Spotify Rhythm. There was this notion of, wow, it's quite magical. We get all these teams that are just delivering, shipping stuff and improving the product continuously. But what if we want to make a pivot, right? How do we get 30 squads you know to, to to pivot in roughly the same direction that was really tricky so the, the rhythm helped us but of course it, it's it's not a magical pill that makes the problem go away yeah i guess that yeah that it would seem intuitively that it would be harder and slower to move the company yeah. sort of singularly right without the top-down control yeah and ownership was a bit of a challenge also ownership of code because we didn't want to have like some person owning this part of the code because then they become a bottleneck um so we kind of had the notion of squad ownerships, like a, a squad, let's say we had, you know, hundreds of different things we call systems, which are like subsystems to handle things like authentication or streaming or whatever. So we divided this, it was like a pretty, like a microservice architecture and each system had, had a squad that kind of owned it. But it was kind of hard because uh, like, it was hard to, to, to create a sense of real ownership where, where somebody or a squad would feel that, okay, we're going to really take care of this code. We're going to refactor it, improve it, make the next generation of it. When we were quite small, it happened quite naturally. But when we had like 50 or 100 squads, sometimes we have technical debt accumulating in the cracks and nobody really feeling that, oh, you know, I can fix this. Just thinking for non-technical listeners, you know, what's, what's technical debt? So, so technical debt is when you've created something and then um, 
it gets ugly over time. Kind of like if you imagine if you're cooking in a kitchen and you leave a little bit of dishes every time, right? And after a while, you're going to go cooking and there's like dried pasta stuck in plates and there's the pot, you don't know where you put it and you can't even see. So it's just, just, just a mess, right? So that's technical debt. And it just slows you down. Um, so it, it's, it's called debt because it's a metaphor. It's like you take a loan from the bank, right? Every time you, 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 you leave the kitchen and, and don't wash the dishes, you're, you're taking out a loan, you're paying interest every time you cook, right? Because you're going to get slower and more frustrated every time until you, you repay the loan itself by fixing the kitchen. Does that metaphor make any kind of sense? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm just thinking about right. my dirty plants right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it makes sense. I'm in a hurry, right? So I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll leave a bit of a mess in the code and just hit this feature. But if I don't clean up the mess, it's going to bite me every time later on. So that kind of stuff needs continuous improvement. And it's hard to plan for because from a kind of product manager or product owner perspective, that feels like waste. What? This team is sitting here doing work and I don't see anything coming out. No, because they're washing dishes. There's no food coming out. They're cleaning the kitchen. But that's what makes them able to make good food tomorrow, right? Right. So, 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 so that work needs to happen, but it's not always very fun. Um, and did you find that, So, and just to go back to the original point, so you, because the ownership was, because you'd created this, this squad level ownership, that people I sp- felt less uh, motivated to clean up the debt not necessarily. Actually, I found that the team, the squads often wanted to, so it wasn't like they didn't care or want to. It's just often they had so many other conflicting signals, conflicting priorities. All these things happening, like that, that squad over there is doing something, they need our help. Or we want to ship this awesome new feature. So maybe we should ship that first and then fix technical debt. And then, oh, we just did a prototype. We came up with a really awesome new thing. So there's always this shiny toy around the corner, right? But to just sit down and, and, and you know, clean up a system and not deliver anything useful to anybody for a couple of weeks that 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 just uh it takes courage right to just tell everybody or t- it takes patience to say hey everybody you know we're not going to ship anything now for a few weeks so and, and I, even harder is to remove things so if you have a lot of systems and you're like this this system is actually a you know not it's out of date we should replace it it's like an old car right but there's a lot of other systems using it so removing a system is actually a lot of work and not sexy at all <laughs> but if you don't do it you get all this crop accumulating right um, right, it's another form of technical debt. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, we, we, we found ways to, to deal with it, but but uh, it was yeah, it, it was one of the it was one of the challenges. But isn't that just all software teams? I mean, it or, is. It right? Is. Uh, but but do you think Spotify had it particularly bad? Or I would say it's it's a hmm, it's hard to say actually because almost every company has that problem. Um, but I would say that most things that I saw at Spotify, I found work kind of better than what I've seen at other companies. But some things didn't. And this was maybe one of those things that, okay, we have this problem just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and since then, and since it, well, that's probably what, I, I guess that is going to be something that resonates with a lot of people who are involved in software development. Have you found other ways to crack that from a cultural perspective? Um, I think it's a leadership issue. Uh, and and the, the way to crack that is, we're experimenting a little bit with that at uh, now at uh, with, with the Minecraft development, but it's, it's a lot about having patience at the leadership level, patience and long-term thinking without that, nothing helps, unfortunately, because C- if the leaders are pushing for the next release always and not kind of, if there's not an acceptance for that, we need to, you know, oil the engine in the car once in a while, then it's, that's not a process problem. That, 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 that that's a leadership problem. Right. Um, but, if, but if there is a willingness from the leaders to think long-term, 
then there are all kinds of really useful techniques. Um, and my favorite technique is, is visual management. You just visualize what is it we're doing? Like what, what are the priorities? Uh, who's working on what? What are the problems we're having? So I normally use these massively big visual walls, like physical uh, things on the wall. Now, of course, we use the digital right? <laughs> versions of it. And when everybody sees what's going on, they normally conclude that too much is going on. So you start removing things and saying, you know what, let's do fewer initiatives at a time. In, or in the context of game development, like now, let's build fewer features at a time. Um, and that, that will save time to do long-term improvements and make those long-term improvements visible as well. Put them up on the board so they're at the same level. Right, we're going to build these three new features and we're going to rewrite this backend system. And, and, it's gonna, and so it's going to be like a first-class citizen in terms of planning. So even though nothing useful is being shipped out of it from a customer perspective, it's something that we kind of reserve time for. Yeah, and I think that's the important point, isn't it, about technical debt is it, when you fix it, it's not visible, yeah. whereas a new feature is visible. So if you can find ways to make your work on that debt visible. Yeah, and it needs to be seen as continuous. It's not like, oh, now we're going to do this initiative to clean up the system, and then we're back to normal again. No, it's, it's, it's continuous maintenance, both at the micro level. Every day, you know, if I'm coding and I'm making a feature, I might take another hour after making the feature to clean up some duplication, like to, to make the code more clean and easy to read. That's like micro cleanup. But then the more macro cleanup would, would be like, okay, this system here is getting really old and messy. We should rewrite it. It's going to take a few weeks. Then we just need to put that on the wall and, you know, just schedule it basically. Right. And I can but say, if have, but, if, but if, if we had a release plan that was made in a top-down fashion, you know, with like people, you know, wishing and hoping we can build all these things by this date, then, it, then you're screwed, right? <laughs> so it has to be very much that the teams are in control. Like I say, that, okay, our high level goal is to ship a product which solves this problem. And we have these 10 features we hope to build. But along the way, you might realize, you know what? These are the five most important features. Let's ship those and then clean up these three backend systems. So the team needs to be both encouraged and empowered to make those kind of long-term trade-offs. Right, and a patient, yeah, a patient leadership ultimately, yeah. who who could see that technical debt being worked on the board and, and accept it and yeah. be prepared to be patient, yeah, and trust them and trust them that they're making the right call. I guess yeah. that's that that's the other part of it, isn't it? Yeah, right, and that makes sense. Uh, and okay, so you're now we've we sort of started to touch into your work uh, at Minecraft, so. I guess, what have you taken from Spotify that you're now applying within the, the Minecraft tech context and you know, what, what new things are you learning about how to uh, create effect, effective cultures there? Well, I guess Spotify, even before Spotify, I was very much into autonomy and agile. Uh, but what I took away from Spotify was the, the realization that this scales and it scales quite nicely. Um, so I guess what I bring from Spotify to Mojang and Minecraft as I guess that kind of confidence that, uh, we, we, we could, we don't need to sacrifice autonomy when, when, when we grow. In fact, autonomy is going to help us scale because we've been growing quite a lot re recently, but also I've always been collecting, even before Spotify, collecting techniques for visual management. Cause to me, visual management and autonomy fit hand in hand. Because if teams cannot see what's going on, then they will autonomously run off in the wrong direction and fall into a ditch, right? So, so, but if everyone sees what's going on at a high level, then they will almost automatically self-align because people generally want to build a good product. So if they see what everyone's doing, then they, they will tend to just act smarter just by, by that visualization. But also leaders, when leaders see what's going on, they can make better decisions and lead better. 
So yeah, I guess- well, I, yeah, I just want to pause on that. So that's a really important point, self-alignment. We talk about self-management, right? But yeah. self-alignment, if I can see, you know, the things that everybody else is aligning on or all the priorities across the board, then I will, I will align myself to that. You know, yeah. I can just trust the team that they will align themselves appropriately once they can see the bigger picture. I guess another huge takeaway, I think, from Spotify and also I'm seeing it with Minecraft is how extremely important it is to ship often whatever it is you build. And I realize that is a bit contextual if you're building, like, quick segue here, but I worked for a short while uh, at a company that builds embedded software for satellites. So how do you ship a satellite often? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously they don't, right? It takes years to build a, a, a but, but they ship software every sprint. And the software they shipped into a simulator. So they would launch satellites every sprint, but, but in, in, in the simulator. And because we have a pretty good grasp on you know, the laws of physics, generally speaking, if it works well in the simulator, you, you would be probably on the right track. So you have to adapt to whatever context you're in. In the case of Spotify and with Minecraft, we had the luxury of being able to ship as often as we like, pretty much. So, and, and I just saw how extremely useful it is when a team ships like every week. Because that feedback loop, just creates discipline, right? You have to be customer centric if you're going to get customer feedback automatically every week. It just automatically happens, and and you can't fit so much waste and and you know uh, inefficiencies if you're going to ship all the time. You, you you don't have time, so you need to stay lean and fast, and you need you need you need to automate your testing. You need to automate your release management. All these things that a lot of companies talk about but don't really do. But if you ship every week, that that kind of becomes a forcing function for automation and uh, collaboration and alignment and all kinds of good stuff. So yeah, that, that, that's a big takeaway uh, shipping often and then being super visual about stuff. Right. Uh, and are there any, any, so those are the, the, the principles. Are there any sort of specific techniques you've developed at Mojang that you could put into another video? At some point? Uh, yeah, I guess there's two things that have been a bit of an aha for me. One is that like we met, we mentioned the Swedish culture a little bit. Swedish, Swedish culture tends to be kind of team oriented and consensus based which means basically that people talk a lot to make decisions. <laughs> and the advantage of that is once a decision is made, you normally have pretty good acceptance for it, but it could also take forever. And you, you could also fall into the, 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 the group think problem where everybody thinks that it's a good idea because they think everybody else likes it, but actually nobody likes it. Right. So sometimes that can be a problem. And I noticed that happening both at Spotify sometimes, but also at, at Mojang. And in both cases, the solution was to introduce uh, a decision maker role. And some people within the Agile community would consider that to be a bit of a violation against Agile principles. And that's why I think it's quite, quite interesting because to me, it's, it, it is the opposite. It is a way of implementing the principles. There's nothing in Agile that says you can't have official leaders. It just says, try to avoid the you know, top-down control. So how do you tread that balance? I'll give a concrete example. Um, like we would have like a, a plan. Recently, we, we, we shipped a, a big update called the, the Nether Update in Minecraft. Which, um, which had a whole bunch of new features um, for a dimension called the nether in, in the game. And uh, um, we had a plan for what we wanted to put into this release. Um, a set of priorities we had on the wall, right? This feature is more important than that feature and also why and which team is working on what and what's the state of each feature. But at some point we realized that we need to change these priorities and they were on the wall in order to be easy to change, but nobody changed them because nobody knew who, who gets to decide that. We don't all agree. Maybe I'm like, we should do this feature. It's probably more important than that one. But I wonder if 
Jim agrees. Yeah, well, Jim says, ah, well, I don't know about that. Well, what about Lisa? She's not here. She's coming tomorrow. Let's talk to Lisa tomorrow. And she just goes round and round and round. And in the meantime, the old plan stays, even though nobody really likes the old plan anymore. So we introduced, similar to what we did at Spotify, Spotify, we introduced a role called Road Manager, which is kind of like a lightweight equivalent of a project manager, but without projects. Um, just, a, just a very lightweight leader role, but it's somebody who kind of owns the high-level priorities. So at Spotify, we, we, we created this role, um, which we uh, called, uh, I, I, I jokingly called it the three-headed prioritization Hydra, <laughs> because it was three people. Um, um, J-A-N, Jan, we called the role, because it was the, the, the first letter of, the, of those three people's names, right? So the acronym formed J-A-N. Right. Um, now it's actually four people, and, and the acronym is N-A-J-S, NICE. So it's called NICE, right? And NICE is essentially, it's four people that together act kind of like a lightweight equivalent of a project manager or a producer. And what it means is they have the final say on priorities. They're empowered to change priorities. But they normally don't do it. So it's, it's, it's when, when we cannot come to consensus or we need to make quick decisions, they will listen to, 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 the, to the people that have opinions and then they'll just make a decision. And that decision can change again in a week. So, so that allows us to stay agile and move fast while also kind of still having um, like pretty strong autonomy because although they set the high level priorities, there's still a lot of autonomy in terms of how do we implement those features in detail. Plus anybody can question those priorities and they will change if, 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 if there's a good reason for it. Right. It reminds me because we've had a few people on, on this show uh, from the Halacracy music. In fact, Byron Robinson himself, who developed yeah. Halacracy. And, and that's the same. Uh, they make the same point is that you can have autonomy, but you, you can still have decision makers who are empowered. Yeah, like a tiebreaker. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Autonomy, you know, and in fact, in some ways, that is an expression of the autonomy is you give somebody autocratic authority, just like, OK, we're yeah. going this way. Yeah. And, and I think a big aha there is I found that also at Spotify that it's, it's useful for that to not be one person. Uh, we often had at Spotify a, a trio called TPD, Tech Product Design, a trio of three people that together fulfilled that role. Because as long as those three people can come to agreement, otherwise it doesn't work, right? But if those three <laughs> right. people can speak with one voice, then we get awesome decisions happening fast because they will have different perspectives, tech, design, product, right? So we do the same with, with Minecraft. This group of four people, they have different perspectives, uh, which, they are, which they are, like we have one guy who's been there for a very long time and has the, the kind of long-term perspective. And one person which comes at it from a more product perspective, uh, someone from a more design perspective. So when, when they make decisions, those decisions tend to be respected because everyone knows that, you know, even if that decision was, wasn't the one I would have preferred, I, I would trust that, that, that it is a good decision because I trust, trust those people. Right, right. But it's also really important, the fact that it can change. So I, don't, so I might disagree, but I also know that if it turns out the decision is wrong, we have the tool here to change, to, to, make, to make a new decision. So, so I think this is a general pattern. Make stuff really visible. Give teams as much autonomy as possible. Um, but if there's a bunch of teams, you probably need someone with a role that is kind of like a tiebreaker or overall priority setter of some sort. Right, yeah. Now, the other thing I wanted to, to touch on, right, was the, you know, I guess in your, since, since you've been involved in the Agile community, I mean, it has, it has changed a lot. We, you know, we've got these um, formal frameworks of, gained a huge amount of sort of acceptance and huge industries have developed around certain frameworks and so on. And then there's a big debates, right, about, you know, should you be framework driven or should you be taking more of an organic approach? Um, yeah. I guess what was just broadly from off the top, you know, 
your reflections on the state of, if you like, the agile industry today? Uh, wow. <laughs> I would say at least, okay, I, I, I live in Sweden, so most, most of what I see is around here. I'm also a little bit biased because I've worked at, you know, the com- I'm biased by the companies I've worked at. So, um, but the trend I'm seeing is it seems like Agile is becoming less religious and more pragmatic from what I see. Like maybe five years ago, there would be a lot more of people running around hitting each other in the heads with books. <laughs> not, not physically, but kind of like, yeah, the Scrum book says we should do this and we're not doing that. So therefore we're doing it wrong. I, I don't see a lot of that happening anymore as often anyway. So a more pragmatic and mixed bag approach. And this, I'm really happy because I've kind of been pushing for this a long time. So I really like the notion of seeing frameworks as tools. And there is no one tool that is always the best. You, or more like a framework is more like, I guess, like a toolbox containing many tools. So Scrum would be one toolbox and, you know, scaled agile framework would be a toolbox. Even the thing people call the Spotify model could be considered a toolbox. And yeah, take whatever toolbox seems to fit you the best. And then, you know, add a few tools from another box, remove a tool that you didn't like, tweak a tool. And then, yeah, pretty pragmatic, secular approach to the whole thing. Right. Which is is good, I think. So that's interesting. So you actually, because I think a lot of people seem to bemoan the fact it's going the other way, right? And that people are becoming much more wedded to frameworks and we've got these religious right. wars, but you see less of that, right? You seeing actually there's, there's less of that and it's more. Yeah. Pragmatic. Although I, again, I'm biased a little bit by, maybe I've been gravitating towards those companies. <laughs> so it could be self-selection. I guess what I have seen is, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but there seems to be a big thirst for agile frameworks. Although most companies I've seen that use them end up not following them to the letter. They might start doing that, but then, but then they adapt. And I think that that's, that's good. Um, but there seems to be a huge thirst for it. Um, and I think it's probably because if you realize that your current structure isn't working anymore, like I used to work at Lego and, and they had this point where they realized that our current structure used to work, but it's not working anymore because the world is moving too fast. We need this agile approach, but how do we do it in practice? And it's scary taking an old, really well-established successful company and starting to kind of pivot. That's really scary. What if it breaks? What if we stop succeeding, right? So, so there's also waste involved in inventing your own framework. So it's useful to start somewhere, take something, and then use that to get you moving in the right direction. Even at a, at a, at a smaller scale, let's say you're, you, you're just one team and you want to start working in an agile way, and you have no idea how that works. It's probably easier just to grab, for example, Scrum and just say, let's just do this by the book to get started. And then once we got started and understand how it works, then we can make adaptations as needed, which is also the idea with Scrum. It's, it's a framework, not, not an exact process. So I would say, yeah, it's, it's fine. Go ahead and grab a, a, a framework. Just, just if you want to follow it to the letter, go ahead. But don't treat that as the end goal. Treat that as just the opening move. <laughs> right, right. Now, the other thing that has always inspired uh, me about you, you know, and I've obviously really observed you uh, from a distance until today, but is this, this way that you seem to m- meld, you know, your artistic pursuits with your professional uh, pursuits. Can you just talk a little bit about that? You know, how, how have you come to be uh, able to, to meld them in the way that you do? Well, that's kind of interesting. Um, well, I guess I realize a big part of my job has been communication whether I work as a coach or as a designer or developer, communication is such a key part of it. And, and I've always liked drawing. <laughs> um, and, and I kind of accidentally stumbled into the notion that, oh, drawing is useful also for work. Because <laughs> if you make something really clear, 
uh, well, first of all, the process of making something clear is useful for your own head because it forces you to understand it yourself. So if I want to understand something, if I can make a picture of it, that forces me to understand it. Otherwise, I can't make a picture of it. If I can't make a picture of it, it proves to me I don't understand it, right? There's a saying that if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, you don't get it yourself. It's kind of like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just noticed that it's just a very useful technique, A, to get my own thoughts in order, but also when I put something on a whiteboard during a meeting, which is often my role during any kind of meeting, I'm the guy who grabs a pen and starts drawing. Whatever people are talking about, I'm drawing it. Um, and I notice people look at that and it focuses the conversation. So it's just really valuable. That, that's, that's why I, I try to use it as much as possible. Right. And, and are you finding now, uh, because obviously the, uh, the, the Spotify video is electronic form, but do you, do you find yourself drawing on, how do, you, how do you do that sort of practically right now in our context today? That might be interesting. Well, um, so the, the Spotify video is, is an animated thing, right? So I'm, I'm yeah. drawing and talking. Um, that was the second time I made a video like that. The first time was a video called Agile Product Ownership in a Nutshell which is even more popular than Spotify videos, which is incredible. So it seems like this format really works. And I, I stole that idea from Dan Pink's video called uh, Drive, which is, I really recommend looking it up, Dan Pink Drive on YouTube, yeah. um, which, ta- which is about motivation. And it's an amazing video because the guy, it's a graphic facilitator, a graphic recorder drawing. So it's basically a, a, a talk that Dan Pink did, I think. And then another person later on added drawing to, to it. And that really, that's a super popular video and, and super inspiring. So I kind of like, at one point at Spotify, I noticed that I was doing a lot of workshops for product owners. And we were talking about the product owner role. And I was often at a whiteboard trying to describe what this role is about so that we can talk about it. And over time, I kind of converged into a visual representation of a circle um, describing kind of the flow of how a product gets developed in Agile. And that picture was really powerful, but also really messy because there was too much in it. So, so during that, during one of the workshops, someone in the, in the, in the room said, Hey, Henrik, you should, you should, you should make a, an article out of that picture so we can, so we can scale you. <laughs> so I don't have to stand in a room all the time because that picture is useful. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess it is. Cause it's been, I've iterated on it for a long time, but it's a mess. Anybody looking at the picture won't understand what it's just too much stuff in it. So someone suggested, well, why don't you record yourself drawing it? And explaining, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Oh yeah, maybe I can do the trick that was done in that Dan Pink video. Hmm. So I went home and started experimenting with it. And I had this drawing tablet, which I bought a while back just to play around with. So I'm like, oh, I could use this, this Wacom drawing tablet. It, 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 and this, this program called ArtRage, which is, it's just a painting program. It's not made for, for any kind of, you know, uh, making videos. It's just a painting. It's like a canvas, right? And you get paintbrushes and you paint stuff. So I was like, oh, I could use this. This looks just like drawing. Um, I can even see the paintbrush moving around. It feels very live. Uh, but, and then I found a, a, a screen recording program called ScreenFlow. You just press rec and it records everything happening on your screen. So that's pretty much what I did. I took my, my little workshop and I, uh, and I recorded myself talking through it. And then I, I drew this picture and recorded myself drawing the picture. And then I spent a, a couple of days editing it down to be as short as possibly can be. So I sped up the drawing just by using editing techniques. And I removed all the unnecessary oohs and ahms of the talking, right? And I did a few retakes just to make it really fast. Because the workshop itself was about 45 minutes. And my hypothesis was that nobody's gonna watch a video if it's longer than 15 minutes. Right. So I took that 45 minute talk and just condensed it. Um, and that format works so incredibly well. So even now, like 10 years later, the, that video is used all over the place. 
So I, I, that's why I wanted to reuse that. So when I was going to talk about the Spotify culture and describe that, I was like, hmm, maybe I should use that same approach. So I used the exact same approach, exact same tools, um, and did it again, basically. And how and how are you finding yourself doing that now? If you're in a workshop setting, right online, are you finding new techniques to express yourself? Yeah, now everything is online, right? So, <laughs> for example, all all Minecraft developers are at home, and we are working through a video conference and a, a wonderful uh, drawing tool called Miro, for uh, um, which is basically a whiteboard online, and you can draw together. So I use that. So video talk uh, like a video video conference like now. And then a mirror board. So we're all on the same mirror board. And we do this pretty much every meeting always. So we're always on a mirror board. We might not necessarily be drawing all the time. Sometimes we're writing stuff or looking at a picture or, you know, looking at video clips. But the, but the mirror board is our, our, our meeting room when we talk and meet. And you're using a wake up, you're using a tablet board. So you, you've got like a pen. I'm actually not. It's normally not needed because you, you need, I use that tool if I want to draw nice, if I want to draw like, something more organic like a draw a, a face or something but when in a workshop setting that's often not needed often it's enough with just squares and arrows and boxes because we're trying to convey some some design idea and it can be really ugly um so because drawing with a mouse is a pain but if i'm going to make an actual animated video then uh, a it'll become a lot nicer if i draw on a tablet with a pen but b it's also a lot faster because mouse is is kind of clumsy to draw with I guess I could use an iPad probably as well, but I haven't figured out the tools really to make animated videos using iPads. Yeah. No, I, I think it's worth diving into the details though, because this is in, yeah, this is, this is really powerful the way you communicate. And I find that when I, when I draw, draw more whiteboards, yeah, I can have, uh, yeah, a, an enhanced ability to communicate my ideas. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's actually uh, something I noticed when teaching, teaching like physical courses. I have these slides and when I use slides, they're normally heavily animated. So it kind of different parts appear as I'm talking. So it kind of simulates drawing and it's usually fairly engaging, but I was really surprised once when I did an experiment and I, I drew the same thing, but on a flip chart. So the exact same thing that I had on a slide, the same drawing appearing in the same order, but on a flip chart and people were so much more engaged. <laughs> it was, it's really interesting. Plus I can rip that paper out and put it on the wall afterwards and people would keep referring to it during the workshop. So yeah, there's something about live drawing. I'm not sure what. It may be something about how our brains work. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something that, yeah, I, I guess we get enthralled in the act of creation, don't we? We're yeah. seeing something emerge before our eyes in a way we don't, yeah, we get a facsimile of that on a slide, but it's not the same, is it? Yeah. Although one, one insight about that, about the tools I use for this, because a lot of people make animated videos and not a lot of people use that, that same set of tools that I use. Um, because people always get people who do this kind of work always often get surprised when they ask how I make them. I've concluded that the way I make these videos is extremely labor intensive and ineffective, or inefficient, I should say. Effective maybe, but inefficient. In this, it takes a long time. Um, there are faster ways to do it. Because, for example, my my videos. If I wanted to take my Spotify video and go back and change something, you know, move something or or change the color of something, I can't. Because what I did was exact equivalent of, of doing an analog recording of me standing at a whiteboard drawing stuff. I can't go back afterwards and move a line to the left, right? <laughs> so so uh, there are other tools that let you make videos a little bit more like you would make like a slideshow. So it does get drawn, but it's kind of fake. You see this fake hand come up and it's fake. Um, it doesn't look as nice, but it allows you to go back and change stuff and you can make more content in a lot shorter time. 
so it is kind of a deliberate trade-off I've made kind of because I, I, I like drawing. It's fun. So I don't mind fiddling and spending three days doing something that might've taken half a day if it's because it's fun and the results turn out nice, but I, can't right. I, don't, I don't necessarily recommend that tool set if you just want to create a video and get it done. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the other important point by drawing and that you alluded to is that you get clear in your own mind. So the yeah. act of drawing rather than just putting together a slide check yeah. is improving your understanding of the, of the content. Yeah. And your ability to convey it, yeah. So there, there is a third video too, uh, which I made called A Friendly Guide to Climate Change. Uh, so if you're curious about climate change, which is an important issue, uh, and when I just want to get the big picture, what the heck is it about and what can I do? Um, then you can just Google that and you'll find another nice animated video about that with music, of course, as always. <laughs> That's right. Does, it, does the guitar ever come to your workshops? Uh, it, I don't bring it out often. I probably should maybe. But when I'm at a conference or something and I find a piano, I'll, I'll, I'll play it. <laughs> right. But that's actually a funny story. The reason why I end up making, I always make my own music in my videos. Part of it was because I didn't, I didn't want to get into trouble for copyright stuff. Because I'm not sure, like, how does it work? If I want to put background music to a video, how do I get permissions for that? Or can I just grab something off online? Probably not. And I'm like, ah, what a mess. I'll just play something myself and then nobody can say I stole anything. <laughs> but it's 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 fantastic you've got all these talents right i mean and, and have you sort of consciously always yeah had this idea that you know i want to be good at lots of things i want to be good at music i want to be good at art i want to be good at programming i mean is that no but i'm very curious minded um and i really love tr trying things and just learning fiddling around so it also means i tend not to get too deep in any one thing <laughs> so i play a lot of different instruments but there's only i don't you know, most of them I don't play very well. I can just kind of, I, I can get by, I, but, but I, I, I don't go deep, right? <laughs> um, but I, I'm generally very curious about things. So whether it is, you know, how the heck does this instrument work? Or how does, you know, music theory work? Why does that song sound good? And I'll kind of dissect it. <laughs> or how do I make a really good design? Or why is this piece of code here slow? And, and, and I, I love just hiding in a hole somewhere and just digging deep trying to understand what why does that work um so yeah just insane curiosity i guess would be this uh, the short version of it <laughs> yes and and it seems to me like a and a willingness to go with that like not to allow yourself to sort of i guess narrowly define who you who you're going to be and what you're going to be good at yeah yeah it can be a bit it's funny because in a way like you know actors can get typecasted right if you're a bad guy then you're always the bad guy I felt for a while that I was typecasted as the agile coach guy because I wrote a couple of books and I and put out a video and, and which all happened to relate to agile stuff because that's, just, that's what I was fascinated with at the time. Right. I was curious about how do you, how to organize, you know, how do you build good stuff? How do you make organizations work? And then agile became like a bit of a, a, a like a, um, a, a toolbox to me that kind of helped me understand how good stuff gets built. So I've put out some books and articles and videos around that. And then I've, since then, I've been typecasted as the Agile guy, like this stamp in my head. So now I spend 80% of my time doing coding and design and, and development. Um, but still, to most people, I'm, I'm the Agile process guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, and I suspect that's one of the things that's made you so effective and such a sort of powerful, I guess, what you, instigator of change is that you've got all of these abilities that you're able to bring together. Oh yeah, there is actually value in that. I noticed that being able to talk to developers, uh, well, because I've been a developer and now I'm back to development again, but understanding their world a little bit. 
um, is really useful. Even like, even though now I work almost full time, but with development, but say five years ago, I was working full time with coaching and I was doing development very little. So I was pretty rusty. I wasn't up to, up to speed with the latest tools and stuff. But just by having lived in that domain, it was easier for me to interact with developers and understand. And it was also easier for them to respect me because they didn't see me as this person who talks about something that they have no experience with themselves. So, and, and now, like for me, and now I'm, 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 I'm new to, to design. I haven't done myself like deep product design, which, which I'm doing now in, in, inside, inside Minecraft. And, and that's actually new to me. So I'm, I'm learning that. And it's, I'm really enjoying being kind of new to that skill. And, but I also noticed that when, even though I'm new to that skill, I can take with me a lot of other techniques. For example, visualization. I noticed that visual management is useful as a designer or concepts such as technical debt. Well, you can have design debt as too, uh, as, as, as well. So, so, so every time you learn, it's same with an instrument. If, if I pick up a new instrument, uh, there, there's going to be connection points, right? Like, okay, how do I play an A on guitar? Well, I need to learn what the heck are the different strings. But the concept of an A, which, 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 which notes are included in A, well, that's the same on piano. And what's the difference between A and A minor and, 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 a, and A7? Well, it's the same. So there's a lot of commonality. And so you can take some parts of what you learned from the past and move that. I guess it's probably the same with if you're going to learn to speak a new language. Like I suck at languages, but people who are good at languages tell me that the more languages they learn, it's easier to learn even more because you can bring along patterns. Um, yeah. And I suppose what, one way you could look at what you do is, you know, solve complex problems and, it, and, and you get good at spotting a, a, a pattern for solving a problem in yeah. one realm of complexity, which you then just apply. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are a lot of, realms. I guess system thinking is, I guess maybe the common denominator between all these things like, okay, uh, a code base is a system. A product is a system. Uh, an organization is a system. A band playing music at a gig is a system. And there's different parts interacting, but it's the whole that matters. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that's a common theme, I guess, across everything I do. I think. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, maybe maybe that's the that's 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 the place to have uh, have, have wrapped it up. Um, fantastic. Well. Henrik, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, I've really, uh, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> I really appreciated you taking time out of your. Uh, I get you are on vacation now. You're in your. Uh, the I, I, it might look like it. I was until uh, on vacation until yesterday, so now I'm actually back to work. Uh, but I try to have Tuesdays as my non Minecraft day for doing other stuff. So things like this. Uh, cool. So this afternoon I'll be doing boring catching up on email probably. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Good. Uh, so yeah, can you play us out with something then? Uh, All right. Close uh, the show. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks again. Have I will put nice all day. the links to your videos and your books, everything in the, in the awesome. description. Awesome. All yeah. right. All right. Bye-bye. See you. Bye-bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.